Let us continue our worship as we listen to God's word to us today. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. And David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. Why are you alone, he asked. Why is no one with you? The king has sent me on a private matter, David said. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I have told my men where to meet me later. Now, what is there to eat? Give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have. We don't have any regular bread, the priest replied, but there is the holy bread which you can have if your young men have not slept with any woman recently. Don't worry, David replied. I never allow my men to be with women when we are on a campaign. And since they stay clean even on ordinary trips, how much more on this one? One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. On another another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with a deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around them one by one and then said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jean Valjean spent 19 years in prison. He says he is a slave of the law. His first crime was simply that he stole bread, broke into a house and stole bread in order to feed his starving niece. Every other crime attempts to escape prison, forging his identity, running from the police officer Javert, Every 
other crime was committed in relationship to that first crime, that crime of compassion. Among many other ethical questions that Victor Hugo's book slash musical slash movie Les Mis asks us to consider, it asks us whether it is ever right to do the wrong thing. Whether a crime can be compassionate, whether what is legal is always moral. It asks us to consider who commits the bigger crime. The one who commits a crime of compassion by stealing bread or the society that creates laws where compassion is criminal. The timelessness of Les Mis is incredible because no matter the human society, those questions are always there, right? Those questions are still with us today. We could apply this to any situation, but the one that was most recently on my mind was I had uh, lunch with a conservative evangelical friend who is also an immigration lawyer. And I asked him, what can somebody like me who's not an immigration lawyer, who doesn't understand the immigration system, who doesn't understand the immigration laws, what can someone like me do? And he said, well, the first thing you can do is be informed. Seems rational. Except for, he said, most of our major news outlets do not actually inform us. They spread politicians' propaganda and distract us, get us to argue with each other instead of focusing on the vulnerable immigrants. But he said I could be informed. He said I could be informed about the fact that many of us will say things like, well, if they just come through the southern border legally, I wouldn't have a problem being here. And he said, historically, immigrants coming into America have not actually been welcomed here, legal or not. So that claim is dubious, but he says, let's even assume the best of intent behind the claim that if I wouldn't have a problem with them if they came here legally. If we assume even the best of intent behind that claim, he said the reality is that most of us native English speakers could not navigate the legalities and the loopholes behind the immigration system. And yet we expect people who at best speak English as a second language, at worst don't speak English at all, to navigate that system? Who commits the bigger crime when families are separated and children are put into cages? The ones who cross the border or the ones who lock them in cages when they get here? And it is a question that both Democrats and Republicans have to wrestle with. The, the children in cages is an Obama-era reality. But it was exaggerated in the Trump administration. It is a bipartisan issue that asks 
whether legal legalities and law should have precedence over compassion. What I find really interesting in our story today is that in Luke, Jesus takes up this question head on. The question of law versus compassion, Jesus takes on directly by violating the law of the Sabbath. The Sabbath law is one of the big ten. It is a key identity marker in ancient Israel. We, unlike everyone else, else, have a Sabbath. It is not only one of the big ten, but it is the one of the big ten that gets the longest description. Because it seems like God wants us to know what exactly is meant by resting on the Sabbath. Remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath, a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do work. That's the rule. Laying down the law. If this were one of the other commandments, right? Do not steal. Do not commit murder. Do not worship a foreign god. Fairly straightforward. This one, though, God not only gives the directive, but God actually expands on it so you know the depth of your experience to which this law must tunnel. This, no one in your household may do work. This includes you. You don't get an exemption. This includes your sons and daughters. Your children do not get exemptions. This includes your male and female servants. <clears throat> this is the NLT being really nice. Your male and female slaves. The most vulnerable people in your nation and in your household get a Sabbath. Further, your livestock... Even your animals rest on the Sabbath. In one explanation, another, in another place in Torah, the land itself even gets a full year of Sabbath every seven years. Further, any foreigner among you. So even the immigrants who probably have left their native land because of drought or famine or violence, who come and live among you, even they get to participate in the Sabbath. This, because on this day, God rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So because of the importance of this law, Ancient Jews went to great lengths to suss out its meaning. They said, oh, like this gets a lot of explanation. Well, we, we need to think about even more implications for this. And so right after the time of Jesus, there is a text called the Mishnah, which was probably an oral tradition around the time of Jesus. The Mishnah has 39 definitions of what work means so that you don't accidentally violate the Sabbath day. They can be summarized as do not produce or create anything on the Sabbath. This can be taken as another sort of the way Christians often think about this is this like Jewish legalism. But it's not when you understand why God lists these vulnerable people, including you, 
in this Sabbath command. There is a good reason why the Sabbath requires that you cease from work and production so that you, your sons and daughters, your slaves, the foreigners living among you, and even your cattle understand that your identity is not in what you produce. I think I should say that again to American capitalists and consumers. The Sabbath is there not merely to control our behavior, but to teach us that our identity is not in what we produce and create. Rather, our identity is a gift of the creator and therefore demands that we and everyone around us be treated with dignity. Sabbath means we cease from creating in order to receive the gifts of the creator. This is the point of the Sabbath law, the Sabbath directive. Thus the Sabbath, understand, nobody viewed the Sabbath as a legalistic burden. This is how Christians will often stereotype about Jews or or. Protestants will will stereotype about Catholics. They do these legalistic rituals. None of this is for the purpose of legalism. The whole point of this is to be a blessing to the entire community and the entire creation. Sabbath law was good for the community. It was good for employees. It was good for immigrants and foreigners. It was good for the poor, particularly the poor that lost their land every 70 years. In other places, Sabbath says that land is restored to them so that they do not end up in perpetual generational poverty. You see, there was a very social justice type orientation to this law. Sabbath is good for all of creation. What is problematic then is when we take a law or a rule or a directive or a Bible verse that is meant to be a blessing to everyone and instead we twist it into something that damages human dignity. This is the question raised on the first Sabbath day that Luke mentions when the disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath and they are picking heads of grain so that they can eat. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Don't you know this is a violation of the Sabbath law? And in response, Jesus appeals to a Bible verse or a set of Bible verses that you and I would probably never think to appeal to. That apart from Jesus mentioning it, many of us wouldn't even know that it exists. Jesus appeals to 1 Samuel 21, where David and his men are fleeing from King Saul. And they're hungry. They're they're fugitives of the law. They're hungry. They show up at the tabernacle. The priest there does not know that he is a fugitive of the law and thinks that they're there to kill him. And he says, we're not here to kill you. We're on a special mission from Saul. So David literally lies to him and says, we're hungry. We need bread. And the guy says to him, 
I don't have any bread. The only bread that we have is the bread that is by law dedicated only to God. But I'll give it to you. And David takes it. Jesus says in the reading, he broke the law by taking the bread. See, Jesus sees, now now listen, on the surface, this text has nothing to do with the Sabbath. Right? Like, they're mad at him for violating the Sabbath law, and he appeals to a story that doesn't have anything to do with the Sabbath. So what's he doing? Jesus is saying that the issue here is not, first and foremost, the violation of an individual biblical text. The issue is, before we even get to the biblical text, what assumptions do we have about how Scripture should be applied and approached? So he's extrapolating out, Jesus is, beyond just the individual Sabbath question to saying to settle the Sabbath question, we have to understand the intention of Scripture to begin with and the fact that dignity outweighs laws. That human life outweighs biblical laws. We are not unique in this, but I feel like we are in a uh, semi-Bible Belt Christian society where this happens a lot, where a big moral question will be raised. And we got our politicians with their propaganda telling us what our answers are, but then we Christians, we say, well, you know what? I've got a Bible verse that will settle it. You go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, and you've got, you've got family members on one side of the spectrum or another, and everybody's got a Bible verse they can pistol whip you with. Because the assumption before they even get to the text is that the Bible is there for me to prove my prior convictions right. And that the Bible is there so that when the law is laid down, no matter how moral or immoral it seems, you have to submit. This is how this is in operation with the Pharisees. You, here is the law, here's what you're supposed to submit to. It doesn't matter whether life is at stake or not. Here is the rule. And Jesus is saying that is a wrong way to approach all of Scripture, let alone the Sabbath law. We don't approach the topic of immigration or same-sex marriage or abortions or women's equality or slavery or patriarchy with ready-made Bible verses we can just whip at people. Has anyone ever actually changed someone's mind by doing that? But it's not even just about changing people's minds. It's a dishonorable use of the Bible. As if citing the Bible itself legally binds you to my position, whether my position is moral or not. Slave owners in the American South could definitely pistol whip you with Bible verses. They weren't wrong. if we're just using the Bible 
as a rule book that, prior, that proves our prior convictions. What they were wrong about is what they assumed the Bible was to begin with and therefore how they interpret the Bible. St. Augustine, first major theologian of the church, said this about reading the Bible. He said, whoever then thinks that he or she, Augustine was a patriarchal dude, so I'm going to say she. Whoever then thinks that he or she understands the Holy Scriptures or any part of them, but put such an interpretation upon them as does not tend to build up this twofold love of God and our neighbor does not yet understand them as he ought. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you're reading the Bible and you come up with an interpretation that violates holy love for God, holy love for neighbor, and I will add holy love for self, then you are not reading the Bible the right way even if you have dug into the Greek and Hebrew syntax and sentence structure. Because the way we read the Bible as Christians is through the lens of holy love for God and holy love for self and holy love for neighbor, which includes holy love for enemies or people that we just have prior bigotries against. The priest fed David and his men because they were hungry. Jesus used this example because as with God's bread, so with God's Sabbath, so with God's scriptures, human life outweighs God's laws. Can you imagine how different Christian conversation about various moral and culture wars subjects would take place, how different the conversation would take place if we understand that these are not merely issues that we have to win, but there are people who are vulnerable on the other side. This is illustrated again on another Sabbath day. Luke puts them one after the another. He's sort of thematically bringing up Sabbath. Illustrated on another Sabbath when Jesus is in a synagogue and a man with a, a, a withered hand enters. And the Pharisees are watching him to see what he's going to do. Is he going to break the law? And Jesus seems ever delighted to provoke them to anger. Sometimes it feels like Jesus is looking for a fight. For a guy not looking for a fight, he's sure finding it a lot, okay? Follow me on social media, you'll see the same thing. I'm never looking for a fight, I promise. But I tend to get into a lot of them. Jesus seems delighted to provoke them. He asks this, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? 
is this a day to save life or destroy it? Now, look, on the surface, if you're the Pharisees, like you're going to say, listen, Jesus, this is a false dichotomy. These are not our only options uh, that do good or do evil. There's something in between, right? After all, Jesus, if you wait until sundown today, it's kind of officially tomorrow by then, and the Sabbath is over. You could wait just a few hours to heal this man, and you could be in that totally law compliant. You could be in perfect submission to the Sabbath laws. Just wait a couple of hours. And Jesus says, no, it's not a false dichotomy. Because it is always right to do the right thing. It is always the right time to do the right thing. Compassion always outweighs biblical commands. Luke even makes the point that it's this man's right hand. Two things related to this. One, I mentioned this in the first service, uh, that restoring a right hand is the dominant hand of most people. It would restore his ability to work. It would restore his dignity to provide for his family. But then I was talking to uh, Lonnie and Kim after the service, and Lonnie made a really good point that also in that culture, your right hand is your clean hand, and your left hand is your unclean hand. You do all the, the dirty work with your left hand, but you eat and you do all the clean work with your right hand. And so what Jesus is saying is, it is always good to restore the dignity of someone so that the work they do and the life they lead can be led with dignity and cleanliness. Uh, Lonnie used an example, but I was thinking, I live about a quarter of the mile from the Gold Club I have often driven by the Gold Club and thought to myself, I doubt any of the women who work in there woke up one day when they were 13 and were like, you know what? I think I want to dance around and watch, have men pay me for it. So what led to that? What led to it? Was it... An education failure? Did our system fail? Did the, the, the social safety nets fail so they didn't feel like they had any other options? It's really ironic to me that we have these unclean jobs that we sort of stereotype. And then Jesus comes along and what does he say? The kingdom of God is like prostitutes. The kingdom of God looks like the people who do the unclean work in your society. That's what the kingdom of God is. And he offers no apologies for it. The kingdom of God looks like people who are breaking the law. But are doing it because the social safety nets around them have failed them or exploited them. By restoring his right hand, Jesus allows this man to now live a life of dignity and dignified work. Human dignity 
outweighs divine decrees. In fact, human dignity was always the point of divine decrees. We don't have to be a people who hate laws. We need to understand that the whole point of the law to begin with is to promote human dignity and we should question any law, even well-intentioned ones, that result in human beings being treated less than with dignity. So Jesus heals the man's hand on the Sabbath day in a crime of compassion and predictably it outrages the Pharisees. And I should say at this point, that for all our judgment on the Pharisees, historically Christians, since we're talking about scripture and how to use scripture and dignity and, and life, we should acknowledge that we have 2,000 years of Christian anti-Semitism at play already in our minds before we even approach the scripture. For example, the assumption that even Jews 2,000 years later, A, as if Judaism has not changed in 2,000 years, but B, that all the Jews of Jesus' day were basically the Pharisees, that they were all legalistic and cared more about laws. But that's not true for multiple reasons. A, Jesus was a Jew, right? So all the disciples were Jews. So there, there's at least 13 Jews who aren't legalistic, but even more, in the Mishnah I mentioned before, uh, it says, any matter of doubt as to the danger of life overrides the prohibitions of the Sabbath. So, this is not, the Mishnah is not a text that would find Jesus to be the Messiah, okay? It's a Jewish text from around the time of Jesus. Jesus is not saying something new. He is fully in line with Judaism of his day. If there's a question of life, violate the Sabbath. Life is more important than the command. Dignity was the whole point of the Sabbath. Dignity was the whole point of all of Jewish law. This is what Judaism gave to us. All of the Jews knew this, except for maybe the Pharisees, but as people tend to get when they get argumentative, we can get to some pretty absurd positions. What Jesus breaks from the, the Jewish tradition of his day in doing is he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> Right? He's like, by the way, like I'm fully in line with all of Judaism except for the fact that I wrote this thing and I am the Lord of this thing and uh, I am therefore the proper interpreter of this thing. That, you know, if you don't, if you don't already assume that Jesus is the Messiah, you're going to be like, uh, you might have been right about how to interpret it, but you are way off base now. Scandalously, idolatrously off base. But for those of us who assume that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, we have no problem saying Jesus is in fact the Lord of the, Lord of the Sabbath and Jesus tells us that human life outweighs law. Which mean, brings me back to Les Mis. 
and the question of illegal immigration. A few years ago, there was originally the book, and then Les Mis was a musical, and then a few years ago, uh, it became a movie, right? And there were some articles written about the movie, and in it, I came across this uh, article in the National Review, which is a politically conservative magazine, commenting on Les Mis and tying it to illegal immigration. I'm going to read you the, a quote from it, and what I want to say is, I think this is an attempt to be a compassionate conservative approach to immigration. It says, all decent people, all decent people have a measure of sympathy for those who, driven by desperation, come illegally into the United States seeking work to provide for themselves and their families. That they so frequently work at low wages and miserable, miserable conditions and that they are vulnerable of, to every kind of abuse is reason for deeper sympathy still. Now you would hope at this point that you'd go on and say what this sympathy concretely looks like, but the solution to their plight is not to abandon law, the law, any more than the solution to the plight of, uh, plight of Les Miserables is to legalize the theft of bread. The rule of the law exists to alleviate misery, not to mandate it. So he gets, he gets it right, right? The whole point of the law is to alleviate misery, to, to give dignity. But what he's saying is that once we allow someone to steal bread without consequence or come into the country without consequence, then we are now mandating misery for all the people who are here legally or the person who had their bread stolen. But here's my question after reading this. Are these our only options? That, that we have to maintain the law status quo just as it is, which we know ends with children locked in cages and separated from their parents, and we know ends in people just trying to provide for themselves, working low wages and enduring miserable conditions and every kind of abuse. We know that the way things are right now does not promote human dignity. It doesn't. So is our only option to just keep doing what we're doing or open the border all the way and just let anything goes and there's chaos? Are those our only options? Does not Christianity give us language and give us the ability to imagine something other than that? Because what Jesus doesn't do is say, well, you know what? The Sabbath is completely irrelevant. Jesus doesn't do away with the law because he thinks the law is there to promote dignity. So what are our options? I think we encounter language for this every week when we receive communion. Every week we come to the communion tables ourselves and what do we seek? We seek pardon. 
We seek forgiveness for having broken God's law intentionally and unintentionally. We seek pardon for not having loved our neighbors, for not hearing the cry of the needy. We, we come seeking pardon for our hard-heartedness, which creates social contexts in which it is a crime of, a crime of compassion is still a crime that must be punished. And our communion liturgy every week demands that we ask the question, who commits the bigger crime? The one who comes over the border seeking life and dignity or the ones who separate kids from their families and put them in cages? The ones who refuse to hear the cry of the needy. Listen. I get it. I get it. We have a fear of terrorism and we have experienced it on our shores. We also have a very real drug problem in this country. I get it. A, our current system is not stopping that drug problem. And B, as my Immigration lawyer friend said, 99.99% of people are just trying to escape gang violence and generational poverty. They come over and they do jobs that we don't want to do in order so that the next generation, their children or their grandchildren can participate in the American dream. That's what they want. And we say, no, you get cages. You get no retirement benefits for destroying your body doing hard labor every day for 40 years. You get no health care. Can we not find a way to pardon them like we pardon ourselves? Can we not be more attentive to the cries of the needy and less attentive to the propaganda of our politicians left and right? Christianity calls for a different way of thinking about this, a different orientation toward it, which I think changes the way even we vote about it. So I'm going to end with a quote from an article that I read responding to this one. And I chose this article on purpose because it is written in Forbes magazine, which is a right-of-center magazine, economically anyway. But the article is written by a conservative Christian. It says this. One does not have to legalize border jumping in order to forgive the migrant farm worker and the nanny. One must only forgive the relatively small evil of working illegally in America to avoid the greater evil of tearing families apart, of economics, economies disrupted, of terrible racial tension and mass deportation. True, not every illegal immigrant is Valjean, worthy of legal forgiveness, but many, many are. 
and it is time to bring them out of the shadows, and it is time to turn aside from our inner Javert. In other words, life outweighs laws. Dignity outweighs decrees. And no one should ever be a slave to the law. 